Welcome to the Never Too Early Fantasy Football Podcast, where it is never too early for fantasy football. My name is Jeff. And I'm Alex. As always, thank you for downloading, listening, liking, and commenting on our podcast videos. Please join our community by subscribing to us on the socials. Our handle on all platforms is at N2EFantasy. We are also available on all major podcasting apps by searching N2E Fantasy. Alex, what do we have on today's show? On this episode of the Never Too Early Fantasy Football Podcast, we are covering news from the Week 13 games, including injuries, recapping the matchups, and providing insects for fantasy players out there. So we're going to be going through these matchups game by game, starting with the Thursday night matchup, which was the Seahawks at the Cowboys. Jeff, we both picked the Cowboys for this one, and we got we both got them right. However, it was a much closer game than I think either one of us anticipated. And we had some great quarterbacking going on on both sides. Jeff, I'm sure you want to start first because I'm going to disagree with you probably <laughs> on, on a certain topic here. So I'll let you go first. So Dak Prescott is currently on fire. He is one of the top MVP candidates currently in the 2023 season. He's just playing out of this world and this current moment. And uh, I do believe that he's a top five NFL quarterback right now. Like, do I believe that he'll be a top five entering next year? No. But I believe right now in this season, he is a top five NFL quarterback. Charbonnet looked great until an injury hit him. He was contributing both in the run game and he got one reception, I think, for 39 yards. So it was a little more puzzling that he didn't have more receptions, more involvement in the passing game. But Seattle played this game very close to, to Dallas, which I believe that Gino actually played one of his best games of the season in a down season for Gino. So there is that. But and, and it, it, of course, DK Metcalf decides to have one of the biggest games of the season of any wide receiver having three touchdown grabs when A, I'm playing against them in a few leagues and B, I lost in the guillotine league the week before. So he really just wanted to stick it to me the week after saying that. Also, CeeDee Lamb had a huge night as well. And I did notice that Brandon Cooks is coming on slowly, getting about four targets a game. And he's actually converting a good percentage of the targets that he's getting. Alex, what did I miss? And what do you disagree with? Okay, so I, I will agree that uh, I officially acknowledge Jack as playing uh, top-level football at the quarterback position, and I think fantasy-wise, yes, he's top three. He might finish the year even higher than that, which is crazy for me to think about. Uh, I will say that during this matchup, I thought both quarterbacks played very well. I thought Dak outdueled Geno on an accuracy standpoint. I thought Geno had a couple bad passes, but overall had a really good performance, and this is closer to the Geno of last year that we saw. I, I think that going playing as well as he did against this Dallas defense shows a lot for. Gino's caliber. He the problem with him is he hasn't been very consistent in this matchup. He was very off target when it came to passing to Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't know if that's a rookie issue for Jackson Smith and Jigba not running the correct routes or not knowing the correct options that Gino wanted to throw to. I do know that some of Gino's flaws in this matchup was not climbing the pocket and throw into passes. He threw some of his bad passes were off his back foot. He was trying his best. Patrick Mahomes impression and he is not the caliber to Patrick Mahomes to try to pull that off he doesn't practice those throws like Mahomes does so I, I thought those were some of his failings and if if he 
did those things a little bit differently, I think that the Seahawks would have pulled off an upset. They did not. I think it's interesting how these two teams' offenses kind of mirrored each other on every level. They Their rushing stats are almost the same, Charbonnet and Pollard. Like 19 rushes for 60, 20 rushes for 68. I thought that was very in- interesting between those two teams. So I think they're doing well limiting their opponents at rushing. And those two guys aren't quite as good as some of the other running backs in this league yet. Um, I thought it was interesting. DK Metcalf and CD Lamb dominated at the receiving position for both teams. So I, I think it's also interesting for the Cowboys that Michael Gallup seems like an afterthrow in this offense. And it does seem like like Brandon Cooks is right up there with Jake Ferguson as the secondary targets behind C.D. Lamb. So keep that in mind. I will say so with that Zach Charbonnet injury and with the already an injury to Kenneth Walker, it's looking like DJ Dallas might, might be a waiver wire pickup because he might play. He might be the primary starter going into next week. So that's something to, to keep track of for those of you who are in need of running back help. Um, other than that, I thought Dallas played phenomenally and I thought Dak did really a really good job of winning in this really tough matchup. Yeah, I concur with everything that you said, and we do need to just keep an eye on Charbonnet's injury because I don't believe Kenneth Walker will be ready this week. So could it be Kenny McIntosh time? (laughs) I mean, it's going to be DJ Dallas and Kenny McIntosh probably because I don't think Charbonnet or Walker are 100% ready to actually play. Obviously, they're not going to be 100% healthy either way, but I don't think that they're playing. So we can move on to the next matchup, though, and that is the Arizona Cardinals and Pittsburgh Steelers game. This was a little bit of an upset out there. Cardinals won 24-10. to 10. And Jeff, what went wrong for Pittsburgh? So Pittsburgh, everything went wrong, including the weather. Um, <laughs> there was two weather delays during this matchup, which really drove fans nuts in front of the stadium. But all said and done, James Conner has a big de- big day versus the Steelers' defense, and that isn't a, that isn't something to take lightly because the Steelers' defense is one of the best in the league, and I feel like that is we can just put that on repeat in a drop because I believe every year the Steelers' defense is one of the best defense in the league. But as per the Steelers, what they do every year is they lay down a couple of stinkers, which prevent them to winning double digit wins, and um, this was just happened to be one of them. And I believe, as always, that they're on their way to a 9-8 and eight season. And that is per the Tomlin special. He likes to get just above 500, but nothing too great. And this is kind of where we are with the team. Um, and I think as long as they win nine games, they're never going to get rid of Tomlin, even though he might be the one thing that's preventing them to get over the hump. What I've learned about Pittsburgh is they are too loyal too long. And I think that'll show up with the Kenny Pickett mess a little bit later in his career is they might be too loyal to the Pittsburgh kid too long. And my last takeaway from this game is it does look like, so the so the Cardinals earlier last week released Zach Ertz as per an agreement with them uh, between both Ertz and the team. And basically what that did is opens up a lane here for Trey McBride to be the tight end one there. And I do believe next year he's going to be a top 10 tight end going into the season. And I know you haven't been a huge fan of his in the past, but I hope that he's gradually winning you over now that he's actually showing what he can do as a starter in the NFL. So first I'll just address the elephant in the room. I think you, you didn't mention it in this so far. It's Kenny Pickett got hurt in this game. So they turned to Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett has, I believe a high ankle sprain. 
So he's going to be out for a couple weeks. So it's going to be Mitchell Trubisky moving forward. Uh, as far as Trey McBride, now that now that Ertz is gone, I think that Trey McBride will be probably the number one target in this offense, which doesn't bode well for Hollywood Brown or Rondell Moore. Uh, I would have liked to see them be involved more in the passing game, but they, they really weren't in this matchup. So I, I think that regardless of talent, I, I think that Trey McBride is going to be the, a target hog there, and he is going to be a good focal point for you fantasy owners starting for the rest of the year. I think that he was, I believe, a second-round pick, and I think he does have a certain level of talent, and it was really Ertz blocking his way as well as quarterback play, but Kyler Murray seems to like him, so I think he's a solid option. I agree that James Conner, this was a revenge game for him. I hope that we see more games like this the rest of the year. He hasn't been very consistent when he's played this year so far, so I hope that this kind of game continues for him. I think that he will have games close to this going forward. Uh, as far as Kyler Murray, I don't think he actually played that well, but he didn't play bad football, and he didn't have turnovers, which is number one crucial thing, especially if you're going to have these close matchups. So Cardinals look better with him there. I just don't know if he's the guy for them. It's hard to turn away from him in fantasy moving forward, but I know we'll talk about it in the next episode. I believe the Cardinals are off this next week. So hopefully they uh, continue to refine that offense and can finish strong for the year. Yeah. For sure. Uh, anything else you want to add to this? Uh, don't want to delay this one any longer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to see Michael Wilson whenever he comes back. So that, that's that's it for me. I mean, I would love to see him and Kyler together. I just want to see what that looks like. But without further delay, we can move on to the Falcons at the Jets. And this is where you're going to pick up the first win of the week on me. Because you pick the Falcons and I pick the Jets. You can't. At the end of the day, you can't really feel great about picking the Falcons in this one. This one was not a great game overall. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't have felt great about picking the Jets in this game, and the Jets would have won. So It was going to be a low-scoring game regardless, and it was going to be ugly. And uh, they won ugly, that's for sure. Give me your takeaways on this one. Yeah, so the Falcons won this game 13-8, to so offensive powerhouses right here. Uh, I thought that Ritter did just good enough. Kind of like Kyler did in the previous matchup. Ritter did just good enough against a quality defense. Tim Boyle is no better than Zach Wilson. And I, I think the Jets are in no man's land. I don't think that they make the playoffs. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is coming back because they won't make the playoffs. So this team is kind of out of luck here. And all you Brees Hall fans out there, y'all have to be disappointed over the last few weeks. I know, Jeff, you're big on Brees Hall's talent. It just hasn't materialized with how abysmal this offense has been. Bijan was the lead guy. I would like to see more of him being the lead guy. I don't know why they keep giving carries to Cordero Patterson when they have Bijan and Algier. That makes no sense to me, as well as it's random. I feel like every week who's going to be the, the leading uh, receiver for this game, for these games, for the Falcons, and this time was Kyle Pitts. So Kyle Pitts sighting. It was only four receptions for 51 yards, and Nicole Pruitt got the lone touchdown, so that helps nobody. Uh, it's going to it's going to be ugly going forward but the Falcons have they have players who can help them win if if their coaching gets them in the right positions so we'll see about that the Jets I think I, I just you can't really trust anyone on the Jets going forward either so that's that's all I had on this matchup the only things that I will say on this is I have no idea who's going to be starting for the Jets going forward they've really spoiled so Wilson doesn't seem like he wants to start for them like does that leave Simeon the default starter next week I mean, yeah. they could have picked up. They could have picked up Joe Flacco, who has experience with the Jets, and they they let him go to Cleveland. So, 
I think that's on them, honestly. I don't I don't feel sorry for them at all. I feel sorry for the fans, but I don't feel sorry for the team. Yeah. And then um I think that Bijan and Hall are on such disappointing teams right now, and their talent is great. I do wonder if this depresses their 2024 stock, and I really hope it does, because I will scoop them both up. But entering this year, I know I was very vocal about this, and maybe you were too, but I believe Bijan was very overdrafted as a first-rounder as a rookie when we didn't even know what his floor and his ceiling were with the Falcons. Like, obviously, everyone knew what his talent was in college. They also knew what offense that he was being added to. I feel like the one difference, though, is that Ritter was the quarterback this year and Mariota was the quarterback last year. So I just feel like Ritter's even a step down from Mariota, which is saying something right now because Mariota is a backup in this league. He did play this week, but he's a backup in this league. And uh, I feel like the Falcons did this whole rebuild wrong. I feel like the Jets did it right and they got a bad result out of it. They got the quarterback last. They had everything in place ready to go. Quarterback got hurt on the first series of the season. Bad luck. That happens sometimes. The Falcons went in their last three first rounds. They went and picked up three skill position players that were first round talents. And they don't even have the quarterback that can really help them utilize that talent. So to me, they're just wasting time because by the time they do get a quarterback in place, it'll be time for Kyle Pitts to get paid. And by the time they get a quarterback in place, it'll be time for Drake London to get paid. And they might already be on different teams. This might have been a huge waste of time and resources when they should have been building towards the trenches and they should have been building a a defense because the way that you build in the NFL, and I know Carolina really didn't do this either, that you build a beast of a defense first, then you get a young, cheap quarterback, and then you buy all these pieces to put around the quarterback. Like that's the easiest way to win in this league. And that is the best way to win in this league. I believe the Texans kind of did that in a roundabout way because they were, they've been building their defense up with, with Stingley and Will Anders. Like they've been putting resources towards their defense. So regardless if their defense does turn out to be a top defense or not, they're doing it right. And then they got a young, cheap quarterback and then they put pieces around that young, cheap quarterback. So it just, uh, it seems like the, the Falcons have done it backwards to me. I, I feel like the Falcons and the Jets, their problems are for the Falcons. It's Arthur Smith. That to me, it's him and his ego. He seems like he wants to be the smartest guy in the room. He doesn't want to do the obvious thing, which is get the ball to Pitts and London and Bijan and focus on them. He wants to outsmart everybody by going to, to Janu and going to Algier and, and doing things that don't make sense from any standpoint, just because he wants to be like, I made that happen. We don't, we don't use our star players. And that makes no sense to me. I don't know why he still has a job because I think he should be gone. It, he hasn't adjusted his scheme. He had, he hasn't made this offense pop like what he was brought in to do. He has the, he has the offensive firepower and they look like trash on offense. And I don't think it's the quarterback's fault. I think they could upgrade a quarterback, but I don't think it's the quarterback's fault. Whereas the Jets, Salah is maybe too loyal to his players and keeps them in there too long. And should pro- he should have pulled the plug on Zach Wilson earlier, in my opinion, this year. Uh, I think that Hackett is not a good offensive mind. I think they only brought him in for Aaron Rodgers. And I don't think that that's a winning strategy. So I, I think that he's too loyal in that regard. And they also were just unfortunate that Rodgers got hurt the very first game of the year. So a lot of their issues stem from that. But Do you think Hackett year, would be as under as much scrutiny if uh, Rogers was healthy the whole season? I think Hackett would be as under as much scrutiny. 
if Rodgers was healthy and they're playing well, no. If Rodgers was healthy and they were still playing bad, he would have even more scrutiny. So, yeah, that's why I think that the only thing we need to see is what this offense looks like with Rodgers healthy. Yeah, but it doesn't look good for these coaches. I feel like they're both on the hot seat. I feel like Salah though had a built-in excuse as soon as Rodgers went down week one, play play three or whatever it was. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how I don't know how you grade him against that. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, that's fair. But we can move on from those two enigmas to uh, we can move on to the we have the Panthers at Buccaneers and Jeff. Yeah, this. Yeah. You finally picked your team. <laughs> it didn't yep. work out this time. Uh, it was pretty close to working out. It was a close game. Yeah. So I feel good about my pick. My pick had the right strategy. Just just it didn't work out. Um, I thought Carolina would keep it close, and I thought they would play inspired football. And so there were some changes on offense. I don't know if you noticed, but Hubbard did take control of that backfield, and he actually ran the ball pretty well. And I think one way to get Bryce Young more comfortable and better and have better protection in this league is to get a better run game going. And that's exactly what Carolina did, and they did it against one of the better defenses in the league. So pretty proud of them for that. Like, that was a big step forward. It was a coaching change. It was a philosophy change. They really committed to running the ball. Now, um, it does appear that Jonathan Mingo is going to be the wide receiver to own down the stretch for Carolina. He did receive the most amount of targets. And uh, Thielen did take a step back this week. Um, I know we had talked about that last week in the podcast. I did think that they wanted to get more of the young guys going. I I expected to see more of Terrace Marshall. That did not work out at all. But but so far, Jonathan Mingo has worked because they need to see what they have. They need to put everything out on the field and on paper. Like, their goal really... Their goal is to not make that the number one overall pick. So that's going to be one of their first goals that they have here. But number two is to see what they have uh, currently with this team because this team is going to face massive turnover in this offseason like i could see them trading brian burns i could see them trading pieces that they're not that that aren't going to be useful in the years to come without getting something different so this team has a chance to look completely different next year um and then rashad white continues to have a great year like he is such a success story in the nfl right now um I, i really liked him going into this year i backed off of him a bit and i don't really know why i did that but uh He's having a great year, and then I know we talk about this every week, and we're going to stop talking about it right now, but Mike Evans eclipses the 1,000-yard mark for his 10th straight year. Um, so we're not going to – it's not going to come down to the wire. Will, will he, won't he? He did it, and uh, kudos to Mike Evans. He is going to be a free agent to enter this offseason, but I would not be surprised one bit if the Buccaneers threw the franchise tag on one of their franchise cornerstones. Anything I missed in that matchup, Alex? This is another one that you picked up on me. Yeah, so I did pick Tampa Bay, and part of that is because of Mike Evans. He had seven catches for 162 yards and a touchdown off of 12 targets. I think he's a beast. He has reached 1,000 yards for the 10th season in a row in all 10 seasons he's been in the league. Um, I, I thought that this they could have had a bigger lead over the Panthers, but I will give you I will give the Panthers props. Like you said with, with Hubbard, he had 104 yards and two touchdowns off of 25 rushes. That's mm-hmm. with having one of the worst rush-blocking offensive lines. So that's mm-hmm. pretty impressive there. But I think Tampa Bay is the middle of the pack. Maybe they're the high end of the lower third of teams, maybe. So I think they're a borderline playoff team. I, I think that they will give teams trouble the rest of the year. And I really want to ask you, though, what is going on with Chris Godwin? Zero catches on three targets 
but he had a rush for a touchdown. And I don't know what to do with this guy because, I mean, he should be getting more. And I don't think Tampa can do anything with him because he's on the books for the next two years. His, his cap numbers are $27.5 million and $19 million over the next two years. He's going to be hard for them to cut. A lot of that's guaranteed money. So they're kind of stuck with him. And I think him being on the roster is going to lead to Evans being on a different team next year. Because they have four defensive players, well, three top-tier defensive players, their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, and Mike Evans, all to give big money to. That's five guys. I don't see how they can make all of that work, and I think Mike Evans is going to be gone. I think they tag Evans, and they pay him 22 for one year, 25 for one year. And Baker is not going to command the Daniel Jones starting money. Like, I wouldn't even pay, I wouldn't even broach that topic with him, to be honest. Like, I think he's like a 20 million a year player. And then, yeah, we see how the rest shakes out. But it's very clear that they've prioritized throwing to Evans this year. So to get him his 1,000 yard mark. I don't think there's much more that we can say about these two teams. Uh, I think it's unlikely that, that these teams make the playoffs. But I think Tampa has an outside chance. I do too, but I think they're going to falter down the stretch here. They haven't really been super impressive. Yep, and we can talk about that. We're going to talk about that in the next episode. And so in addition to our week 14 primer, we're also going to do our playoff projections at this point in the year. And we can talk about a bunch of these teams and, and where what teams we think falter and what teams have a chance to make the playoffs. And we'll bicker over our differences. So you guys stay tuned for that next episode. But we are going to keep chugging along. And we have the Lions at the Saints. We both got this one correct. We both picked the Lions. And they won in a very competitive 33-28 to 28 matchup. Jeff, what did you think about this matchup? And what is one of the uh, big things that happened in this matchup? The Lions are they're still, they're still a team that really worries me because this is a game that they could have easily lost if Winston was a little bit more accurate. So Derek, so the lead here is Derek Carr got injured, shoulder, ribs, concussion, somewhere in that range of injuries. So it's multiple injuries. Don't know if he's going to start this week or not. If I'm betting, he probably does start because he hasn't missed one yet this year. Um, and he's had some pretty bad injuries. Um, uh, Goff just really worries me right now. Like, I don't know what's going on with the Lions. This should have been a game that they they completely handed the Saints a loss and it turned out to be a five point game at the end. I did like that Laporta did take over the lead target role. Um, I still think that St. Brown should be the number one in targets and Laporta should be number two in targets on the team. But regardless, that's a good step forward for Laporta, who I also believe is a top 10 tight end going into next year. I know we mentioned that for McBride. Um, So those two are going to happen. He's probably a top five tight end going into 2024. Olave looks good. Um, as does Kamara, who sees the end zone twice on the ground. So I know Taysom Hill stole one from him, but uh, he ended up getting two this week. I just think that I, I, uh, I don't know if Derek Carr stayed healthy for this entire game, if the Saints come back and win this game. I don't know if Winston's a little bit more accurate if the Saints win this game. Either way, like this wasn't the best lo- win by the Lions. I know it's a road win, but again, it should have been much further in score than it ended up five points thoughts so i actually thought golf played fairly well not great in this matchup 
Uh, I think that they should even out the carries between David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. There's no reason why Montgomery should have 18 and Gibbs should only have eight rushes, especially when Gibbs was the more electric of the two in this matchup. So I, I think that needs to be evened out a little bit more. I think the targets between Laporta and Amon Ross and Brown need to be evened out a little bit more. I like both of them, especially going forward. I, I love Sam Laporta. I love Amon Ross and Brown. Uh, I would like to see more Jamison Williams and a little bit less Josh Reynolds. So those are things in the Lions I'd like to see better. I know that the Saints have a fairly decent defense, so I can understand a little bit of struggle from Jerry Goff and a little bit of struggle on the ground. For the Saints, I feel like the Saints are a team without identity because they paid all this money for Derek Carr. They have Jameis Winston as one of the best backups in the league, and they have Taysom Hill, who they use as a passer, as a rusher, and as a receiver. I think at some point you have to cut one of those out. I would think that you would cut the quarterback aspect out and mix them as a multifaceted tool, like a Swiss Army knife for rushing and receiving, because I think he's doing well in both of those. But Alvin Kamara, I feel like, should get more carries than what he's been getting. I think Jamal Williams probably deserves maybe a few more carries. I would like to see Kendry Miller get involved if he's healthy. I, I like that Alave is the number one receiver there. I would like to see A.T. Perry get more catches, especially because Thomas is out. I don't know why we're involving at the tight end position, Foster Moreau, Taysom Hill, Jimmy Graham, and Jawan Johnson all. That's a little crowded for me. I don't think Foster Moreau is as good as the other three that I named. I don't think Jimmy Graham has been anything more than a short yardage guy. So it's hard to trust the the tight ends in the fantasy position. It's hard to trust anyone in the wide receiver spot right now outside of Olave. So I feel like Olave, Kamara, Taysom Hill, those three are the guys that you could trust more. But the other guys all just compete with each other. And I don't think that that's good. And I don't think that the quarterback situation is the best situation for the Saints because they can't they can't just choose and they can't figure out what they are. This is a better better roster talent than their record. Completely agree with that. I, I think the Saints defense though is overrated. Like I, I just don't feel like they've been as good this back half of the season as they were to start off the year. Well they're not really controlling games and that, that ties into it, but I agree I expected more out of them at this point. Yeah, over the last uh so since week nine since week nine, they've been the 25th defense in fantasy. Not only not good, it's bottom eight in the league. Yeah. Okay. Well, both these teams need to figure some things out if they have any hope of making the playoffs or at least being, you know, the top of their divisions going into the playoffs. So hopefully they get those straightened out. But we can move on to two more teams trying to fight to get into the playoffs, and that is the Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans. This is one where we both got right. We both picked the Colts. I was rooting for the Titans, though, so I was hoping to be wrong because that would help my Texans. So the Titans almost pulled it off. It was a 31-28 victory for the Colts in overtime. So the Titans nearly pulled off the win in this one. But Shane Steichen and Gardner Minshew and this Colts offense pulled it out. Jeff, you've been huge on Gardner Minshew all season long. Why don't you start with this one? Oh boy. So Minshew actually looked really good in this game. And it does look like he is leading the Colts to a playoff race at the very least, if not a playoff bird. So if he leads, so work with me here for a minute. If he leads the Colts to a playoff berth and they go far in the playoffs here, do you, like, what do you do with Minshew next year? You trade him for two first round picks. 
he's a free agent. <laughs> uh, you franchise tag him and trade him for two first round picks. But you've already you you've already invested in Richardson. Richardson got hurt. It's not like he played terrible. I don't think Minshew's going to be your future. Yeah. I don't think they would be seven and five with Richardson. That's my thought. That's um, fair. You remember back to the off season when I said that I would love Carolina to go after Gardner Minshew as like a one year starter. I feel like it would have worked out better for us. Like I feel like Thielen is a very good receiver for Minshew, so I feel like that would have been a good combo as well. I just don't know why Carolina did what Carolina did. But uh, especially when there was somebody like Minshew out there that is capable of playing and winning games. So I count this as a Minshew, or as, as a Minshew win. Right now. No credit um, to Shane Steichen, the head coach, who came from Philly. I mean, he, was, he wasn't on the field, though, executing the plays. I, you have to give credit to the guy executing the plays, even if the guy scripting it did a great job. Um, I wonder if this game turned out differently if two things didn't happen, if Henry didn't get injured, because he was on a roll before that. And... I also wonder if their punter didn't get injured, if that kick would have been different um, that they had missed in regulation. Or that was in regulation, right, that they missed? Or was that overtime that they missed? I think it was in regulation. Okay. So because Nick Volk had two punts. So that kind of, it does seem like they're in a playoff spot for now. And it does seem like they have a pretty easy schedule down the stretch as well. So we'll see what happens there. That last game of the season. Who do they have the last game of the season, Alex? The Colts? They have the Houston Texans. So that might so be that... a huge, huge game at the end of the year. For playoffs. Which, which is hilarious because going into the season, that looked like it was going to be between two bottom feeders. And now it's between two playoff uh, potentially caliber teams. So, Yeah, and I think you've got to give some credit to Minshew for that. Like, I, I, know, I... You're, I know you're a Richardson guy, and I know I'm trying to get you to say stuff. But if it wasn't for Minshew, they wouldn't be where they're at right now. I will just break down this game real quick. So Minshew had 312 yards for two touchdowns, zero interceptions, one fumbled loss. Moss had 51 yards off 19 carries, zero touchdowns. Michael Pittman had a Michael Pittman game, 11 receptions, 105 yards, a touchdown. Alex Pierce showed up for the first time this season with three receptions for 100 yards and a touchdown. Even Kylan Granson showed up with 72 yards off three receptions. So big passing game for the Colts here and for the the Titans they were competitive Will Levis had 224 yards and touchdown zero interceptions also a fumble loss just like Minshew Derrick Henry had 102 yards rushing off 21 carries two touchdowns Ty J Spears picked up where Henry left off had 75 yards off 16 rushes they were almost identical Ty J Spears did not get a touchdown in this one. DeAndre Hopkins, five receptions, 75 yards, and a touchdown. Even Chig O, the tight end, had 62 yards off three receptions. So it was very competitive. I, I think that one, Derrick Henry had one of his better games of the season, but I think that a lot of it has to do with the Titans fixing their offensive line, having Will Levis at quarterback who can make deep, deep ball throws down the field. I don't think that Tannehill can consistently get the ball down the field like Levis can. So that opens it up for the, the ground game. And I think that, honestly, Ty J. Spears is getting closer and closer to the 1B, to Derrick Henry's 1A. And I know that that sounds crazy to people, but that's the way it looks to me of late for the Colts. I think Gardner Minshew has played better than expectations for most people, even me. And I have previously liked Gardner Minshew, but I like Richardson more for a long-term franchise starting quarterback for his upside. Will he ever get to a top quarterback spot? I don't know, but I think he has the talent. 
But I think Gardner Minshew is a good quarterback for win-now teams. So I think that I agree with you that if the Panthers went after a veteran like Gardner Minshew, I think that they could have used their draft capital to re- retool their, their team and potentially push for a very weak NFC South conference, or division, I should say. I think that they could have potentially won the division if they did that. I think the Colts and Texans are fighting for the same playoff spot. Give the edge to the Texans right now, but the Colts could very well find their way in that spot. And I don't think anyone going into the season really expected either team to make the playoffs. So it's going to be interesting following those. Jeff, the Titans, they sit at a four and eight record. Is this where you thought they would be? I know you're higher on the Titans going into the season, but I tried to tell you they weren't as good as they have been the last two seasons. I mean, everything that I had said was based around Ryan Tannehill playing. Mm-hmm. and not Will Levis, and Will Levis has come back down to, to earth. I feel like I feel like that does change my opinion a bit. If you told me a rookie was playing this entire year, I feel like they would be exactly where I was, where they are right now, and I feel like the Colts would be very close to where they are right now with a rookie starting the entire year. I think the Colts might have a game or two less victories at this point. I think that's fair with a rookie quarterback because typically rookies, rookie quarterbacks don't perform as well as someone like Stroud has which is still still surprising to me that the Texans have performed this well, even seeing it. So I, I completely see where you're coming from. But even with Minshew, I wouldn't have expected the Colts to have this record right now. So they've, they're still outperforming, in my opinion. Yeah. But, but we can certainly move on from this one, and we can certainly elaborate more in the next episode when we talk about our playoff projections. So let's move on to the best soccer match of the weekend. And that is the Los Angeles chargers at the new England Patriots. The chargers won six to zero, exactly like we predicted. We did pick both, both, both of us did pick the chargers, but neither one of us thought it'd be this low scoring. Jeff, which team do you feel most is which team do you feel like is in the worst situation, honestly? Because I, I know the record for the Patriots is bad, but we had low expectations for them. We had higher expectations for the Chargers, and they have dramatically underperformed. Which team do you think is in the worst spot? Boy, um, this was not a pretty game. Um, obviously, the Patriots defense, I, I, will, I will never discredit a Patriots defense. I believe that they're one of the best every year. So I believe Thursday night this week, everyone should smash the under on the Patriots and. Steelers game just hit the under on a Trubisky and I'm assuming Bailey Zappi game Stevenson's injured so everyone should grab Elliot if they can uh, and Keenan Allen was held to a 5 for 58 day and then Eckler just doesn't look right <laughs> I think the one thing that Bill Belichick does well on defense is he does single out the number one weapon and tries to completely eliminate them from the game and I think a 5 for 58 day basically spells that out that he made Keenan Allen the guy that he was going to single out so yeah i i think everything worked out to plan for the patriots they just didn't put up any points which is a huge problem i don't know a team that's ever won a game without putting up any points i don't think you can get negative points in the nfl so that is how i see that game um anything that i'm missing on that game or uh, any other big bullet points that i'm missing so the chargers Offensive line is the worst rushing offensive line in the league. And like you said, New England's defense, they're 
they're always better than what their record shows. And they were able to completely shut that aspect down as well as cover Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen, to me, has been struggling the last few weeks. He's had some weird, questionable drops. He's He looks like he doesn't have the burst toward, at this point in the season. I think he's being overused because he's not getting help with Williams being out, uh, Palmer being out, uh, I, uh, Eckler being ineffective. I think that puts a lot of stress on Keenan to carry the load. And Quentin Johnson had his best game of the year, but he still doesn't look good doing it. Five receptions for 52 yards off seven targets, but he hasn't been that field-stretching receiving option that they hoped for. And I know he's still in development, but at at this point, I'm panicking if I'm the Chargers. Obviously, I I don't think that they make the playoffs this year. I think New England's the bottom-dwelling team because of how abysmal their offense is. And without Ramondre Stevenson, I think it's going to be hard for them to get wins the rest of the year, although they might have one more in them. Yeah, just bad football all around and not what we want to see. Yeah, it's not good, and it's not going to end well for them. And that's really sad because I do believe that Justin Herbert is a top seven quarterback talent in this league, and something's just not right with that team, and I don't know what right now, I guess, is the best way to put it. Do we think both teams move on from these head coaches? You would think, but Bill Belichick, there's like some sort of hold over the team that he has, but... I don't think we should waste too much more time on this game. Let's move on then. Let's move on to the Dolphins at Commanders. Jeff, you got this right with the Dolphins. I got too cute with the Commanders. (laughs) I thought thought there was a a chance the Commanders would actually have an offense in this, but they did not. Jeff, I talked a lot. Let's uh, let's hear what you have to say about Achan being back and Raheem Mostert and this whole Dolphins offense. So first, I want to start with the commanders, the Washington team, whatever we want to call them, with their offense. Sam Howell has his worst game as a pro. So these are allowed as a pro. So I'm not completely writing him off at this point. But one would have to think that Rivera's time here is going to come to an end. Now, there are some concerns about that actually happening this year because their new owner has breached patience at the coaching position. So it does seem like he might take a different approach than David Tepper did in Carolina. So there may be some reprieve for Rivera to return to Washington next year. Um, I wouldn't bet on it, but his comments do at least raise my antennas on that. Um, You said Achan. He's back completely with two touchdowns in this performance. But Mostert also does well with scoring a touchdown as well. So this does appear to be a two-headed monster going forward. Jeff Wilson will not be a factor in this backfield as long as both of them are healthy. And if we look at Tyreek, Tyreek is on a crazy pace right now at 1,481 receiving yards. And it does look like he's on pace to break the all-time record. Do you believe that he breaks the all-time record for receiving? Yes, I, I do think he does. And I also think that if he had a stronger armed quarterback, he already would have broken it at this point. I don't I personally don't think Tua is a top quarterback in the league. I think that he is buoyed by the offense and I think that his his arm lacks strength. So I think with another quarterback, I think that Tyreek Hill could finish with twenty five hundred yards in a season, just with how good and how fast he is. 
So Tyreek played with the best quarterback in the NFL history, perhaps, talent-wise, and he couldn't do it. So the fact that he's doing this with Tua, I think, A, lends some credibility to Tua, and B, it just shows how good Tyreek is to be able to leave maybe the best quarterback in the NFL ever, talent-wise. Like, we're not talking... And he's definitely the best quarterback right now in the NFL, like, from a talent perspective, to leave that and do better. I just think that speaks volumes to to Tyreek's talent and his Hall of Fame bid, which he's definitely a Hall of Famer to me at this exact I think that it's a different situation. While Patrick Mahomes is a much better quarterback, I 100% agree. The offensive system's different because the system, when Tyreek was at Kansas City, they were... They had a poor rushing attack, so they were controlling the time of the clock by by completions, whereas Miami has always, like this season, they're very vertical. They have fast running backs to get big plays. They try to pass more intermediate and down the field. They try to get their wide receivers into an open spot where they can use their speed and yards after the catch to burn past the defensive players, and I don't think that that was the same system for Kansas City. So I think if you put Patrick Mahomes on the Miami Dolphins, I think I think that Tyreek Hill would have 2,500 yards. Easy. Which is insane to even contemplate. Yeah, and that's, and that's fair. I don't want to completely discredit Tyreek for getting better in a new place and for Tua being able to facilitate that. Okay. Well, I think that that pretty much covers that and we can move on to the Broncos at Texans. Uh, Jeff, did we get this one right? So we did get this one right. This was a scary game for the Texans. This is normally a game where they would have lost it down the stretch. But this was a game where they picked Russ off in the end zone to end the game. So kudos to the Texans to finally be able to close out a game. This was Russ's worst game in over a month. Stroud also took a step back in this game um, overall from a from a statistical standpoint. And um, no running back in this game had over 46 yards, which I see as a huge problem in the NFL right now. There's no one consistently running the football, getting a rhythm going to be able to pass the ball better in the NFL right now. Like there's very few teams that do that on a very well. Um Nico Collins and Suttons are the top options for both teams right now. And I do believe that they're both must starts going forward. And the last bit here is some sad news that we've lost Tank Dell for the season. This was always my biggest concern with Tank is he's a smaller guy, more fragile. Now, I don't understand why the Texans in their right mind would ever, ever put him in in a run-blocking play. Like, to me, that is setting him up for failure. I couldn't imagine the Dolphins, that we just got them talking about, putting Tyreek in to run-block on the goal line. Like, I know Tank's a rookie, but he's a rookie that provided something different for this offense than any of the other weapons can provide at this exact moment. And the Texans may have just cost themselves a shot at a deep playoff run with their... With and 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 Dell wasn't even 100% going into this, so they're putting an injured Dell in at the goal line to run block. It sounds so asinine to me, and I don't know if there's a better word for it than that. I'm gonna let you continue my rant because I'm sure you feel the same way that I feel, but that's how I feel. Yeah, Tank Dell is one of my favorite wide receivers going into this draft. He is from U of H, which is where I went to, to school, drafted by the Texans, which are my team. I liked his game film. Yes, he's always been on the smaller side. He looks like a twig when you look at him. And him being in a rock run block 
situation makes zero sense, especially how he was positioned in there. It's one thing if you're out wide against a DB. It's another thing when you're in a goal line formation against linebackers and defensive linemen. Why would you have someone who looks like he's 160 pounds going against a 250-pound player? And he got rolled up from behind, snapped his leg. So, no, I'm, I'm not happy about that. I think that was a poor situation. I think that hopefully they learned from that and they'll never put him in that situation again. Uh, as far as the running back situation, I don't know what to make of it at this point because Damian Pierce had more rushes. He had 15 rushes to Singletary's eight. He also had the longest rush of 22 yards compared to Singletary who had a 14-yarder. Damian Pierce also had the touchdown. But his average was only 2.7 yards per carry, whereas Singletary was 4.5. So I think that that should have been evened out a little bit more. Uh, without Schultz there, without Tank Dell getting catches, Nico Collins dominated nine receptions for 191 yards and a touchdown off 12 targets. So Nico Collins is finally proving people right who have been talking about him the last two years as a sleeper. He finally has showcased. And Brevin Jordan filled in admirably for Schultz. I think that when Schultz comes back, it'll be Nico Collins, Schultz, and then maybe Brevin and two tight end formations might do better than some of the other wide receivers like John Mechie, who I think needs to step up. Otherwise, he's been kind of a wasted pick. I think that Robert Woods needs to do something. However, I think Noah Brown, he was back in this matchup, but he wasn't 100%. I think that he'll get involved a little bit more. So I, I look for Nico Collins to be the overwhelming favorite target of CJ down the stretch and everyone else probably getting a, a little piece of the pie too. But the running back situation is still something that we need to watch. CJ Stroud got knocked out for a, a few plays. Um, I, I think that technically that he only missed one throw. So Davis Mills filled in, got one throw, one completion. So CJ was able to come back in after that, luckily. So I'm glad that we avoided uh, a double disaster in this matchup. But Texans held on, got the win. I think that it, going against the Broncos, who were making strides and potentially going to be another potential playoff team, I think it's good to get the win over a team like that, as well as now have your defense healthy and show up and get Russell Wilson to turn the ball over three times. I think that's pretty awesome. And I think the Texans defense will continue to play well and be a quality if not perfect, defense for you down the stretch if you need one. So I look at the Texans' defense on the rise too, but it's going to hurt with the offense missing Tank Dell for the rest of the year. Yeah, I just I don't know if they overcome it, but we'll see if they do. And also, I would like to see Collins be more consistent now. I've seen him do it a few times, but I would like to see him do it week in and week out at some point. Okay, well, let's keep chugging along here. Let's move on to the next matchup, and that was the Browns at the Rams. We both got it right again. We both picked the Rams, and they dominated against a good Cleveland defense. They won 36-19, to which is very impressive. I did think Joe Flacco played admirably coming off the street and signing with Cleveland. I think that he played very well. I think his style of play and his build is more akin to what Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, likes of his quarterbacks. He's more of the tall, strong arm pocket passer, which is strange to me why they have the other quarterbacks that they do if a, a pocket passer is more is more effective for this offensive system. So that's a that's a question for team building there. But I thought the Browns played okay in this one. It's just the Rams walloped them. And Kyron Williams looks like he's for, he looks like he's the guy. 
And Puka looks like he's taken over as the number one guy for the rest of the season. I don't know if that is going to hold true for next year. I think Cooper Cup is out there, but I think he's probably playing like 60-70%. So I, I don't know. But as far as the Browns receiving goes, Elijah Moore led the team in receiving yards with 83. Off, He had 12 targets, only hauled in four of them, but a lot of them were off target. So I think that that will get cleaned up. I do think that this was interesting because this is the first time this season they've really employed Elijah Moore as a more vertical receiver. And I, I think that they will have success doing that. And I think it's about time that they switch something up. Amari Cooper did have an injury scare in this one. We'll keep an eye on it and make sure that he is playing for this coming week. Uh, I would think that he does. Not 100% sure at this point. But I would like to see more vertical routes for Elijah Moore. I'd like to see more across the middle routes for Amari Cooper. Kind of have him in a slot role and move him around like, like a Keenan Allen or a Monroe St. Brown type. I think that he should be that at this point. And Cedric Tillman should come as a third wide receiver and three wide receiver sets. I think that's their optimal lineup with David Njoku. I think he should get more targets than he did. He only had he only had uh, two catches off of six targets. I think that that will improve as he builds a connection with Flacco. So hopefully Flacco improves on this week and can keep the Cleveland Browns in playoff contention and get this offense clicking. Jeff, have I said enough? Did I miss anything? What were your thoughts? You didn't miss much, but I do have a question for you. Do you believe the Rams are better than you thought they were to enter the year? Sure. Because <laughs> you were very down on them. I think that they have a, a, a good shot to actually make the playoffs, which is what you predicted. I don't think, however, that they are going to get a playoff win if they do make the playoffs. Yeah, I don't believe that either, because I don't think they have enough talent right now. But their young talent has actually performed, which is exciting, because that means one more year under their belt next year. But it's... Stafford played one of his best games against one of the best defenses in the league so i feel like that's a pretty big deal yeah said uh, it's, in, it's interesting to me 100%. that the how the rams have built their team because they spent a lot of high picks on defensive players and then they traded a lot of high picks for matthew stafford a veteran quarterback and a lot of their offensive talent has been mid to late round picks but they have just scouted so well that these guys have performed at a tremendous level especially puka and kyron williams this season and I think Cooper Cup was a mid-round pick when Jeff Fisher was the, the head coach with the Rams. So their scouting department has done them wonders this year in maximizing off the little draft capital they had this season. So kudos to them. Uh, that's another way to build your roster, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and we got to start trusting their scouting. And so does that mean not to give up on Zach Evans now? Like he could be someone that produces next year, kind of like Kyron Williams took a year. Potentially, yeah. But he's someone I still view as a dynasty stash. I don't know if he'll ever be useful this season, but he's someone that I would definitely still keep just to see what happens next year. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. But we are both right on that pick, so those are my, always our most fun picks. Um, now we move on to the times where we were wrong, 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 wrong. And we have the 49ers at the Eagles. And if you don't mind, Alex, I will start with this one. Report. The 49ers spanked the Eagles in this one, and they do appear to be the alpha of the NFC right now. When you get blowout wins like this, especially on the road, I feel like there is a statement in that. Purdy is firmly in the MVP conversation along with Dak Prescott. He adds four more touchdown passes in here. His only bad games and his only losses came directly during and after the concussion. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I did notice that. Everything else has been 
every other start last year, this year has been stellar by Purdy. So I do think there was something there with the injury, and I'm going to give him a mulligan on that one because there has been no other blips on the radar of downtimes in his career. Hertz got better at spreading the ball around to both Brown and Smith in this one. This is something I would love to see the Eagles do going forward. Don't know if, how Goddard mixes into that going forward, because I do believe Goddard is maybe a week away from returning, maybe even as early as this week. Was there anything I missed in this matchup here other than we got it wrong? We both picked the Eagles. So Jalen Hurts missed some time because he was being evaluated for a possible concussion. He was able to return, so it looks like he did not have a concussion. But I thought the Eagles' defense was going to be better than what it was, and it looks like they're they're having all kinds of issues. And I think that the 49ers, on the other hand, had an exceptional defensive showing in this matchup. I thought that they might have been able to get more sacks than just the three that they got, but they completely shut down philadelphia's rushing game which is philadelphia's strength this season so that was that was a surprise for me i i thought that philadelphia would do better on both their rushing side and their defense and i think that was another some other crucial factors to why the 49ers won as big as they did um i i just i agree with you that the 49ers look like the number one team in the nfc and uh, i expect that to remain true for the rest of the season Oh, right. Are you still feeling confident that the Lions have a shot to beat the Niners? Or is that a little more shaken now that you see how complete of a team the 49ers are? Right. Oh, man. I think regular season-wise, I, I think that the Niners have the edge. I think I think that the Lions have some grit to them, but I just I think the, the, the 49ers have such a dominant team, it will be hard to overcome. I'm not saying there's zero chance. I just think it's more favorable for the Niners at this point. I would probably say 60-40 Niners. I think I think that's fair given it's the NFL, professional football, and, and things happen. All right. I'm good with that game. If you are, we can move on to the two primetime games. Okay. We can move on to our next surprise. We both picked the Chiefs, and the Chiefs were upset by the Green Bay Packers. Uh, this is another team, Jeff, that you were higher on Green Bay going into the season than I was, and here they are after this game at six and six for their record. <laughs> How do you feel about Green Bay? And do you think that there's a problem with Kansas City? Do you think Kansas I do, City and I, struggles? I do. Okay. I do. I do. I think that Buffalo will expose them next week again, if I had to guess, because I don't think they can play teams right now that are offensively gifted, if that makes sense. Just like I don't believe the Dolphins can play teams that are defensively gifted with a mediocrely good offense. I think the Dolphins have a weak spot too. I think both the Chiefs and the Dolphins have a weak spot. I think oh, I think that's fair for both of them. So we'll just break this down a little bit here. The Packers, they got the win with uh, 27 to 19. I think that Jordan Love played a very solid game. I don't think that he was perfect in this game. I, I think that he is fortunate with some of his throws but it's just amazing to me that both of these teams outside of Travis Kelsey both these teams are filled with first and second year players at the receiving group and tight end group and yet Green Bay has been more successful with their wide receiver group to me than Kansas City has with the better quarterback and supposedly the better head coach and Andy Reid so I don't know what's going on with Kansas City's scouting group, but I don't think that their I don't think that their wide receiver group is that good. And I certainly felt like I overrated 
Sky Moore just because he's on Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. And I don't think that's there. Like Richie James to me isn't that great. Sky Moore isn't that great. Watson isn't that great for Kansas City. Maybe Rasheed Rice is something. I don't quite buy it yet. I just think he's the best of of a bad situation for those wide receivers. And Marquez Valdez-Scantling is certainly not it. I feel like they wasted money giving him a contract. So they desperately need to improve something with that offense. I think that something's broken. I, I guess Eric uh, Eric B., who moved over to Washington, I, I think he might have been a better offensive mind than I gave credit for, or maybe he was someone who just helped them prep and stay organized during practice or something. I don't know, but they're missing something, and their current offensive coordinator isn't great. Where I think Green Bay, maybe maybe the coaching of Green Bay is better than we thought because it doesn't seem like they missed much of a beat with Aaron Rodgers gone. So I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, is your opinion changing on Love? Because I had given up on Love midseason, and now I'm being forced to almost go backwards on it. Don't give up on Love, Jeff. There's still hope for you. There's still hope. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I think Love is a little bit better than what I expected. I think he might be a little bit worse than what you expected going into the season. So I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think he's a middle-of-the-pack quarterback at this point, which is above expectations for someone who, what is this, his fifth year in the league or something, his fourth or fifth year. So but it's essentially kind of his first, is his first year starting. But I, I think that he's greatly... He was greatly benefited by what was a healthy Christian Watson, and now off of a rush play, he now pulled his hammy pretty significantly, and he's probably out for a few weeks at least. So that's going to hurt them. I think that they might struggle the next couple weeks scoring because of that, because I still don't buy Romeo Dobbs as a top option. I, I, I think he's so fluky. I would rather them throw to Jaden Reed more. Um, I would like for Musgrave to be healthy, but he's he's not going to be healthy for a while. And so it's going to be Tucker Craft and Dobbs and Reed and with uh, John Tavian Wicks getting a few deep balls here and there. So I don't think they're going to be as successful as they were this week, but better than expectations. Yeah, I, uh, I would tend to agree with that, but uh, it does seem like Green Bay is headed back to the playoffs. We'll see. We'll see. But do we want to talk about that last drive? Uh, not. Re- I mean, I know the officials are more your thing than my thing, but there was, in my opinion, two bad calls against each team. And I, I mean, in an ideal world, they would have called that all right down in the beginning. So can't tackle a receiver. You can hit a quarterback going out of bounds. Like there's there's some things that I would have liked to see a little bit different there. And what about you? any of any of those called right could have potentially change the outcome because that was the last drive and it is Patrick Mahomes. So maybe the Chiefs could have tied it up. Maybe not. We won't know because of some poor officiating, but it is what it is. Green Bay won that one. And we can move on to the final matchup of the week, the Monday night matchup, which was Cincinnati at Jacksonville and Cincinnati surprised and upset the Jacksonville Jaguars without Joe Burrow. They won 34 31 and Jeff, have we been underrating the magnificent and obviously talented Jake Browning for the Cincinnati Bengals? Is he the next Gardner Minshew? Is not the next Gardner Minshew. Uh, he didn't look particularly good in this game. 
the 32 out of 37 for 354 yards, a touchdown and zero turnovers. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know if you watched any of this game, but like the tape didn't feel as good as the stats did in this game. Like, it seems like he was missing his mark and throwing to a bunch of wide open targets because the Jaguars thought that he was going to do something different than he did do. And that was a result of a 76 yard touchdown to Jamar Chase, the best receiver in the league. I don't, know, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, him and Justin Jefferson are 1A and 1B, and everyone out there can decide exactly what that looks like. But I do think this will be the best career start ever for, for Browning. I don't think he improves from this. I don't think that... I don't know if there's even a long career for him because there was some throw... Like, there was a throw in the red zone that he should have led Chase. Instead, he threw it behind Chase and made Chase pick it up off the turf, and that would have been a touchdown right away. Like, there was some throws that if he hit, better they would have been they would have won this game earlier now obviously the biggest concern in this game is the trevor lawrence injury um so we we switched from one quarterback right to the other uh it didn't look good there's been decent reports that have come out of this uh christian kirk was also injured in this game so that made evan ingram lead jacksonville with nine catches 82 yards and a touchdown um Ridley was not as involved as I would have liked him in this game, especially after Kirk going down. I think you need both of them in the game for them both to be effective at this point, because once one goes down, you can focus coverage on the other. So I do think that's a, a situation of where the the sum is better than the individual parts. And uh, Mixon surprised us with two rushing touchdowns. He almost had a third also. I think Browning took that rushing touchdown for himself, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Chase ended up with 11 catches, 149 and a touchdown, which I know we were all afraid of what Chase would look like with Browning. But if they pepper him with this many, this amount of targets, there's a good chance that he's going to have a 100-yard game every week and he's going to be the leading receiver for the Bengals going forward. Anything I missed on this matchup? We we're both wrong again here. So I, I agree with you. I don't think Chase Browning is ever going to have a game like this again. And I I think that Trevor Lawrence is looking like they're going to have him play this next week. I don't know how effective he's going to be. It's always a risk. But I will say that with Christian Kirk going down, likely to miss a week or two, it may be worth it for you guys to pick up Zay Jones or Parker Washington in the waiver wires. I think Park, Parker Washington is someone that I liked going into the draft, and he was a six-round pick. Or Jacksonville was put in a deep wide receiver group. But now he has a chance to do something. Zay Jones is healthy again. He should be a good option for them as well, especially if they're not using Ridley how they should. So those guys could be wide receiver three or flex fill-ins for you, especially those of you guys who are desperate at the wide receiver position. Joe Mixon had a good week, and I was not expecting that at all. And I don't think either one of us were, was expecting Jacksonville's defense to be a, as abysmal as they were, zero sacks and zero turnovers. And they it was bad. seemed like they, they struggled against Jake Browning. So I don't think Jacksonville's a defense that you guys want to rely on the rest of the season. All right, folks. Well, that does it for another episode of the never too early fantasy football podcast. Thank you all for downloading and listening to this episode. And please don't forget to like and subscribe. Please leave us a comment, share the show. Every little bit helps. You can find us on all podcasting apps by searching N2E fantasy and with our handle at N2E fantasy on all social media platforms. Please join our community and give us a follow. Until next time, take care of yourselves. And remember, it's truly never too early for fantasy football. Thank you again. Bye, everybody.